Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sporting events, concerts, and all types of shows. The Ram season is over, but there's plenty of other great things to see in Southern California. The Lakers are in town for a big homestand. The Rose Bowl is coming up. Huge game. All kinds of concerts all the time, and there's no better place to get your tickets than on Game Time. Jump on at the last minute. Find those deals. See exactly where you're going to be sitting. Get your view. Two taps, and you have your tickets just like that into the event. Have a great evening. Thanks to Game Time. And now... Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with $10 in credit. Here's what you do. Download that Game Time app in Google Play or the App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the Billing section, use the redeem code THE ATHLETIC. Once again, that's THE ATHLETIC, all one word for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who use their redeem code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019, right around the corner. So make those moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Welcome, Rams fans, to the latest episode of 11 Personnel on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Rich Hammond, Rams beat writer for The Athletic, joined in a second here by Jake Reiner from CBS to Los Angeles. And we're going to talk about the Rams finale. It's all over. I can't believe how quickly 16 games goes by. At the start of it, you think it's never going to end. And then uh, you blink your eyes, and here we are uh, on the eve of a new year. And there's no more Rams football. And it's all ending much sooner than we expected. But it did end with a victory uh, over the Arizona Cardinals, 31-24. A good game. Uh, You know, obviously not what what people wanted. uh, But it was competitive. It was interesting. Some things to talk about there, but uh, more kind of a showcase for for some guys, for some younger guys. And Jake, my my main takeaway, I have to be honest, and and not to to pump too much sunshine or anything like that. But at one point early in the game, I looked up. You kind of your eyes kind of focus on the field, but I looked up and I realized there's a lot of people here. And they announced the attendance at uh, just under 70,000, I think, or they actually announced tickets distributed at, at just under 70,000. It, it wasn't quite that many, but it, it was a solid, I'm going to say a solid 60,000, somewhere around there. I had a Rams uh, official, you know, I was talking to last night who gave that number, and, and I think that's pretty accurate. And it was a good crowd. It was loud, even in that press box where we sit, Jake, where it's enclosed behind glass. Uh, I could still hear the crowd making good noise throughout the game. They they hung in there, even it was it was kind of a cold uh, afternoon. So I have to say, Jake, I don't know what your expectations were for you know a meaningless Week 17 game against the Cardinals, but uh, I got to give credit to those uh, Rams fans who came out and and stayed and and cheered on a, a game that that didn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah, well done for them. I think what I expected was the majority of the fans to be there for the final home game at the Coliseum. I think a lot of people have fallen in love with that stadium, not only for USC, but also for the Rams. They spent 38 seasons there, not 
uh, in a row, but the 38 seasons overall. So I think a lot of people were there because they wanted to experience that final home game. They wanted to see their team. I think it's a good sign for the Rams moving forward, moving into their new stadium, that they have a fan base that is going to be there even when the games don't matter, kind of how the Lakers fans show up and, and the Dodgers fans show up. You know they're going to be there uh, no matter you know what, what the team, you know how the team is playing, obviously with the Lakers, you know, those six past six seasons, it's not been a great uh, outpouring of support, but you know, the fan base is there. And I think that that was the, the sign that we saw last night. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the locker room, when I was talking to Johnny Hecker, the punter, he, I, I asked him why it was important for the Rams to finish the season with a, with a winning record. They won nine and seven despite missing the playoffs. And he said, we wanted to show the fans that we still have that fight left in us. And we wanted to show that no matter what, doesn't matter if we make the playoffs or not, we are still going to put the our best effort out there and win for the fans. And so the fans got to see that. They got to see that effort. They don't they didn't quit even with the injuries that they had to the defense during the game. And so I think it was, even though it didn't mean anything in terms of wins and losses, it was a big win emotionally and sentimentally speaking for the team. Yeah, great point, Jake. And I, I give credit to the Rams for that. I, I actually noticed that too uh, during the introductions when, when guys run out individually and then as a team, uh, guys look pretty fired up. And, and that actually caught my eye too. I thought, you know, you don't really know. It's the end of a long season. It was disappointing. Guys are banged up. And, you know, saw Todd Gurley kind of jumping around and, and you know, high-fiving teammates running down the field. Other guys were uh, jumping around on the sideline and that sort of thing. And, and I thought, you know, these guys are actually into this thing. <laughs> and I, did, I didn't really know what to expect with that uh, or whether that would be the case. But, yeah, good game. You know, Arizona's been in this situation for a while now. They, they've been playing games that, that don't matter for quite a while. So so they're kind of used to this. This has kind of been their their season for a while, but, but it was different for the Rams. This is the first game they've played in a really really long time. So really since the 2016 finale uh, that, that didn't mean anything at all. So you didn't quite know how they were going to react to that, how they were going to come out. I frankly I didn't even know uh, whether some of the veterans would play. It was, some of them might just kind of say, ah, you know, that ankle that's been bothering me for a while, I think I'm just going to sit this one out. Uh, but not only did they play, but they played hard. And, and in some cases, Michael Brockers, Corey Littleton, uh, unfortunately sustained some injuries. We don't quite know the extent of, of those yet. Michael Brockers' injury, which which looked to be to his left ankle, or, or that the, at least that foot lower, lower leg area, uh, looked to be pretty serious, and that, that's very unfortunate for him, especially since he's about to become a, a free agent. So I think we'll get more insight on that just to let people know. Uh, we'll be talking to Sean McVay uh, later on Monday afternoon here and getting some more insight, hopefully, on uh, things that happened and, and things that are going to happen going forward. But, Jake, l- let's let's talk a little bit about Eric Weddle. Um, because he's been a, he's been a very interesting guy, and, and I know you you've been around him even more than I have because you you were traveling with the team early in the season uh, when when I was not when when Vinny was was traveling and and he's he's been an interesting character for, for Rams fans. He kind of came in with with a lot of excitement. People I, I think were enthused about the 
the two-year contract and and what he might be able to to bring to the team, not only as a as a veteran player, but uh, but as a, a locker room leader and. Things I don't think things really went the way that uh, that Rams fans hoped or, or that Eric Weddle even even hoped they they would. Uh, his his play I think started off at a high level early in the season and kind of I think it's fair to say tapered off. He he had some struggles. He he also disclosed last night that that he's going to need surgeries to his knee and his shoulder. So clearly he was playing through some things that were challenging from a physical standpoint. And Jake, the, the thing that he said last night, and, and I know you were there uh, as I was to, to hear him uh, say this, was that basically he's going to retire if he's not a starter. And I, I don't think I'm misinterpreting what uh, Eric said. That, that is essentially what he said, is that he would not come back to be a backup. And he, I think he's aware uh, of the Rams having John Johnson, of having Taylor Rapp, uh, some of these other young guys, even Marquis Christian, you know, plays a, a pretty big role. So did you interpret that the same way that I did, Jake? And and what were your thoughts? My eyebrows raised a little bit when I heard that, but I wasn't entirely shocked. But, but when you heard him talking that frankly and that honestly uh, about his future plans, how did it how did it hit your ear? Well, I don't know if he was directly saying that he was going to retire if the Rams didn't bring him back. It's certainly possible that if the that if the Rams didn't bring him back as a starter, he could he could in theory look for another job on another team that would need a starting safety. But for Eric Weddle, it's been an interesting season for him, and I think that what I appreciate most about him is his ability to just say what's on his mind. He doesn't really have that much of a filter. He's always he's always been honest. And I think when we're trying to gauge the temperature of how players feel after a win, after a loss, you kind of know when you make the rounds in the locker room, when you get to Eric Weddle, that he's going to provide you some sort of uh, context, some sort of emotion. And I think as as reporters, when we're reporting on the X's and O's of a game, it's really nice to kind of complement that with the how the players feel, the, the emotion of it. Um, I think back when uh, the the Rams lost to the Ravens pretty <laughs> devastatingly. He said that their faces got peeled off. And that's just an image that I've never been able to get out of my mind, but it sticks with you because it, it certainly felt that way while we were watching the game that the Rams were getting pummeled. And I don't think any of us in the press box thought, Oh, this looks like they're getting their faces peeled off. But him saying that kind of put the image in your mind and it kind of made sense, even though it, it in, you know, in reality, it doesn't really make sense in, in terms of actually getting your face peeled off, but you get the idea. Um, and I always, I've always appreciated him, him for that. Um, I don't, I don't blame him for not wanting to come back if he's not going to be a starter. I think that he has earned that spot as a, as a veteran player. His play this year has not really been uh, up to, I don't think it's been up to even his standards, but certainly he's been getting a lot of flack on social media from Rams fans. They don't understand, you know, what, what purpose he brings to the field. And I think that his leadership in the locker room is what really sets him apart from other players. He's always picking up his teammates. He's never putting them down. Um, he's he's sort of that second uh, secondary coach on the field 
changing the play if they need to, seeing things on defense that not a lot of people can see. So I think he brings a lot of value, uh, kind of like what Michael Brockers brings to the D-line, where he hasn't really had that great of a season, but he's always the guy in the middle of the pile pumping everybody up. He's that leader, that veteran presence that, uh, you know, all teams need. They need that guy that kind of, you know, keeps people in check. I think Weddle does a really nice job of that. Whether or not he'll come back or whether or not the Rams think it is uh, financially uh, feasible to do so, um, I I think that he brought a a great leadership and a great presence to that that locker room. Um, So those are my thoughts on on Weddle. I I also think that the quote that he had uh, a little later when we were talking to him, when he was talking about certain changes to the team, whether that's coaches or players, he said, you know, we weren't good enough this year, so obviously we've got to change change something. And I'm not saying it's the coaching. So it's, I I appreciated that quote because it's like, obviously, if things didn't work, you got to figure out what didn't work and what you need to change. Yeah, Jake, I I agree. It's Eric Weddle, the things that he does, the things that he did for this team this season are not things that are obviously seen. They they brought him in to kind of be the captain of that defense. I mean, he's, he's the guy who's worn the the green dot, which means he, he takes the signals and, and gets guys lined up. So he, he's taken heat from, from fans, and, and not understandably so, because he's had some rough games, whether it was missed tackles or being out of position or, or what it, whatever it might be. There, there's certainly some, some fair criticism of Eric Weddle, uh, but, but there's also some things that he's done, like you said, in the, in the locker room, too, with, with some of these young guys. I mean, if you like the development of Taylor Rapp, uh, you, you can pat Eric Weddle on the back a little bit for that because he certainly has helped Taylor Rapp uh, come along. But, but Jake, I, I also think that Eric Eric's his, an admirable trait is, is also one that has is, is kind of hurt him, which is that he, he speaks his mind. He when, when he's asked questions, he gives honest answers. And I, like you said, I, I think I, I kind of circle back to what we talked about with Jalen Ramsey last week, where where I said, you know, if, if you're going to knock a guy for giving honest answers, then then what are we doing here? You know, we we, we ask a guy what he thinks. We we hope he's going to be honest, and and if he's honest, then that's that's what we get. You know, you don't want him to lie. You don't want him to mask his feelings. You you want him to say what he says, and. That's uh, that got Eric into a little bit of trouble in that rate before that Ravens game when it came out that he wasn't going to spill secrets or whatever it was that that he'd gleaned from from his time with the Ravens and, and a lot of fans got on him about that because you know why are you doing why why aren't you helping the Rams why aren't you you know telling them everything you know that sort of thing. Uh, but Eric was honest, and he said, you know, those are my guys. Uh, there's certain things I'm going to say. There's certain things I'm not going to say. And then last night he was honest again in saying, look, if I'm if I'm not going to be a starter, then I, I, I don't want to play. And I, I understand. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to knock fans who say that he should be more of a quote-unquote team guy and that it should be all about the team and whatever the team needs. I get that, and and in theory, in a vacuum, that that's a very admirable quality, and and I think if you can get that from your players, that that type of buy-in, that type of uh, of selfless attitude, I think that's great. But look, Eric, what this that's not Eric Weddle's situation. He's thirty-four years old. He's going to be thirty-five before the start of the next season. He's he's nearing the end. He's had a long career. He's had some success. He's you know he's not a, a 22 year old kid 
who's uh, staking his his future to the Rams and is all invested. He knew what he was signing on for, and the Rams knew what he was signing on for. It was a two-year contract. He was coming in at the end of his career to hopefully maybe chase a Super Bowl ring and to come in and be that kind of veteran presence and help along these young guys. And he filled that role for a year. And both sides also knew very well that it could end after this year. The way that Eric Weddle's contract is written, it's very easy for it to be a clean split right now because if he comes back in 2020, he's going to have a salary cap hit of $4.75 million, which is a lot. If he comes back in 2020, he's going to have a salary cap hit of $4.75 million, which is a lot, especially for a guy at his stage of his, his career. But the Rams have an out. They can cut him, basically, and only retain $500,000 in dead cap money, which is a, it's about as a clean of a split as you can get, that they would still be on the hook for that $500,000, uh, but they would, they would clear $4.25 million from, from their salary cap. So it makes sense for both sides. Look, if, if the Rams decide that Eric Weddle is not a starting caliber player, they're not going to pay $4.75 million for a backup safety. So if if the if the Rams have decided that he's not going to be a starter, it's not even Eric Weddle's decision to make. They they will cut him. Uh, but I I think under some weird uh, scenario that I can't even envision right now, if, if for some reason they did say, yeah, we're comfortable bringing you back as a, as at four point seven five million dollars, and and we'll we'll play you ten snaps a game then that's not what Eric wants from his life. That's not what he wants from, from his career right now. He's spending time away from his family, from his young kids. Uh, he, he doesn't need that. He's he's made enough money. He's enjoyed enough success in his career. And he's okay with walking away. And I, I don't blame him for that. And and frankly, that that's probably the end game here, uh, whether it's it's his choice or, or the Rams' choice. But that's fine, and and nobody's going to be upset about that. Nobody's going to feel like they were slighted or or lied to or, or anything like that. I, I think both sides came in with eyes wide open when when Eric Weddle signed that contract, and and everybody's going to be fine with it either way. So I, I understand, you know, the way Eric phrases things sometimes because he is so honest and and just speaks whatever's on his mind. It, it's it's a little bit jarring sometimes, but uh, there's nothing in there that. Uh, I think should anger or or concern uh, Rams fans, but but Jake, how about Dante Fowler? He he's another one who uh, could potentially walk away, and I really liked uh, Dante's comments after the game, where there there was no no at all, not at all, any kind of animus, any type of. Uh, you know, anger that he hasn't had a new deal get done yet. He was very complimentary of the Rams, talked about how much he enjoyed playing with his teammates, how much he enjoyed the coaching staff, the entire organization, and and was very, uh, I think, sincere about being appreciative of the opportunity that he had. Remember, he came in from Jacksonville last year, and, and his stock was about as low as you can get for an NFL player, a first-round pick who had, who had really bottomed out in, in Jacksonville. And, and he spoke about being appreciative of, of having a second chance and, and of taking advantage of that. So, Jake, I don't, I don't know what the, what the future is here. I, I think there's a chance 
that, that Dante could come back. I, I don't think it's a greater than 50% chance, but uh, given everything we've seen on the field and in the locker room, there's no reason to necessarily cut ties there, right? I mean, I mean it's it's a situation where if Dante came back, I, I think both sides would be pretty happy. I really like him on this team. I think he's been a really uh, a strong force on, on defense. He's really made a name for himself. He uh, has that special uh, routine that he does when he gets a sack or when one of his teammates gets a sack or makes a big play uh, where he kind of, you know, shines his shoes, I guess, and then does a high kick in the air. I don't know what you would call that, some sort of rock star move that he's been doing that um, is, is I love seeing that on the field with players uh, to, you know, to have their own identity and uh, kind of get their teammates into it and get pumped up. And it's kind of something that you look for uh, when something big goes down in a game. Uh, he's been one of the leaders on the teams in sacks. He's been uh, a real force uh, for this defense. And I think that what's going to be important moving forward for the Rams is to not change so much uh, on the defensive side of things. I think that this defense, uh, as it stands right now, is is an elite one. Of course, there are things that you can fix, and, and certainly there were some games that got out of hand, that the defense uh, did not play well, missed tackles, what have you. But I think as... As consistent as you can be from this year to next year, the better. And keeping players like Dante Fowler around is going to really help with that. Help I, help the identity of this team. Help the chemistry of this team. Um, I think that uh, Dante Fowler is, is one of those sort of quiet heroes or quiet leaders, I should say. Um, but he's certainly a guy that I would would love to see uh, play for the Rams next season. Yeah, they're, they're going to have some some tough choices here. And we, we have a long off season. We have a, a whole month of, of January ahead and February, actually, but before some of these decisions have to get made. So, so we'll go into, uh, you know, breakdowns of, of each position and, and what exactly the, the future is for, for some of these free agents. But I can't think of anybody who's who's made a better journey over the past uh, what is it 14 15 months than than Dante Fowler from a guy who was basically a, a, a low risk uh, acquisition you didn't even know whether he could play for the Rams quite frankly when when he came in he wasn't even a three down player uh, at that point and and then comes in and, and not only uh, establishes himself as that, but ends up getting 11.5 sacks and, and playing a huge role on this team. So the Rams are going to have to look at it. He's not going to be a cheap player because of that, because he has now priced himself back into a range where uh, he he is going to get offers if, if he hits the open market. There certainly will be teams who are happy to give him multi-year offers for, for big money. So it's not like he's going to be beholden to the Rams or that he doesn't have any, any other options. The question is going to be how much are the Rams willing to pay him? How much can they pay him within the structure uh, of their salary cap and, and some of the other decisions that they have to make? And who else is out there? They they still have some talented young guys. Samson Abicom is, is there. Uh, whatever ends up happening with Oboe and whether he can uh, fill that role 
Clay Matthews being a, a veteran guy, and presumably he's going to be back for, for another season. So it's not like the Rams are necessarily hurting at that outside linebacker position, but it's it's going to be hard to replace Dante Fowler if, if they have to, but given his skill and, and given what he meant uh, for, for that Rams defense this season, what he meant playing alongside Aaron Donald and, and uh, how he helps Aaron out. Um, so it, it's not going to be easy, but I, I guess the takeaway here is is kind of full marks to, to Dante Fowler for, for taking advantage of, of an opportunity this year and really kind of resurrecting his, his career at a time when it was hanging in the balance. So fascinated to see where that goes and, and exactly how much the Rams uh, value Dante Fowler. But Jake, there, there's going to be some tough decisions especially on defense. Uh, we're, we're probably going to end up talking a lot about defense. The, the offense, the offensive line is going to be a huge um, talking point as well. But other than that, they're, they're fairly set on, on offense coming back. The defense is, is going to be a little bit more interesting. And, and really, it's going to start with Wade Phillips. Let's, let's be honest. There's, there's been some chatter, some, some reports uh, over the over the past week, ten days or so, that the Rams might be considering some uh, big moves in in terms of coaching staff. That that might include Wade Phillips. He is essentially a quote unquote free agent because his three year contract is is now expiring. The contract that he signed in 2017 uh, will, will be up. Uh, after after the season, essentially now, and there's no guarantee that he's back. The fact that he has not signed a contract extension, I think, is telling in in some way. Of course, the Rams locked up Sean McVay uh, before the start of the season to to a five year contract extension. They did not uh, afford that same uh, extension to Wade Phillips or, or any at all. So uh, clearly, their the thought was at least in their mind that they that they might be reevaluating that after the season. And then again. Report from NFL.com last week that uh, the Rams are, are considering a change. And certainly within their right, but Jake, I, I wrote a story today on the for The Athletic on, on the app, on the website, saying that I don't think he should be the scapegoat here. And I, if, if you're going to look at coaches uh, who, who underachieved this season, I, I don't even necessarily think you put Wade Phillips at the top of that list. Every coach, every aspect of this team underachieved in some form so to put it all or even to put most of it on on Wade Phillips shoulders I don't quite think that's fair but there's also been some very high profile uh, mess ups I was going to use another word but I think we we try to keep it PG here but uh, there's there's been some games that you certainly would not want to see from a defense but is that enough, Jake? I mean, if, if you're sitting in Sean McVay's chair or if you're sitting on Les Snead or Kevin Demoff or whoever it is, do you look at those three or four games and say those were so bad that that in itself necessitates a change? Or would you be more inclined to say, we'll bring back Wade in 2020? Rich, I think the word you were looking for was clunker, right? That was definitely um, it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Yes. Um, that was a word that Wade Phillips used a few weeks ago when, when discussing uh, the, the Dallas game as well as the Baltimore game and so on and so forth. I think that he actually, I will take the opposite uh, uh, approach to some of the fans that are saying that he underachieved or that he deserves to be let go. I would say that he's one of the big reasons why the Rams were actually good this season. I think that the defense 
carried this team in a number of games, and I don't think that you get to even a 9-7 and record without this defense being so good. They picked up the offense on days the offense wasn't good at all and that couldn't figure out how to stay on the field. And this offense has been so wildly inconsistent, whether we talk about the offensive line, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff has sort of uh, dipped this year. Um, the defense has been fairly solid, and I think those uh, clunkers or those games that got out of hand are are outliers for this defense. I don't think it is a uh, necessarily a glaring weakness or or some sort of trend that you need to address. Obviously, you need to tighten things up because in specifically in the Dallas game, they couldn't tackle anybody. And it seemed odd because this defense usually is pretty good at tackling people. They've been doing it all season. Um, it just didn't make sense why they couldn't do that in, in the Dallas game, why they couldn't stop Ezekiel, excuse me, why they couldn't stop Ezekiel Elliott, why they couldn't stop Dak Prescott um, or any of those guys on the Dallas team. Um, but I, I, I feel like with, with Wade, these players respect him so much that that's hard to replace. And I don't, I'm not saying that if you bring another defensive coordinator in there, he won't succeed or the players won't respect him or whatever. But I think that what we heard in the locker room when we were asking the players about Wade Phillips is that they loved him. Dante Fowler said, and you put it in your story, Rich, that he dreamed about playing for Wade Phillips. And when you have that type of coach, I think that you got to maintain some consistency like I was talking about earlier. There's got to be some sort of stability there where you say, okay, we know we got to improve the team. There, there are certain players we can re-sign. There are certain players we can go and get. Maybe there are certain players we already have that can step up and be in that starting role. But in terms of the coaching, I think it, what would work best for this team is keeping it consistent, keeping Wade Phillips in there. I don't think he is the guy that you say, oh, we need to make a change, and that's the change we're going to make. The change you should be talking about, and it's something I know you agree with, Rich, is the offensive coordinator position. That's something that you need to fill. So I think in this scenario, you need to add pieces, not necessarily replace pieces. Right. I, I think... When, when you when you look back at this 2019 season, whether it's six months, a year, or two years, whatever it might be, what are you going to remember? Are you are you going to remember the shortcomings on on defense? Or are you going to remember the shortcomings on offense? And to me, it's clear you're going to remember the shortcomings on offense and and the dip that the Rams took from from 2018 to 2019 is dramatic. The defense actually improved in pretty much every metric across the board from 2018 to 2019. Points allowed, yards allowed, yards per pass attempt, yards per rush attempt, uh, pretty much any significant metric other than like third down percentage, I think. The defense improved. And the problem is, and I understand this, that people look at the high-profile clunkers, as we both agreed, uh, and, and those were very troubling. And there's, that you can put a full stop on that. I'm not going to qualify it at all. Those were very troubling. The Tampa Bay game, the Baltimore game, the Dallas game, the end of that San Francisco game. There were breakdowns there that were very, very troubling. And if Wade Phillips does come back, those need to be addressed. They need to sit down and figure out whether it was preparation uh, that, that led to some of that, especially that Dallas game where they just came out and could not tackle at all. That is very disturbing, very puzzling. 
and they need to sit down and, and figure out why that happened and what they can do to avoid it. But when you look at the full season, the defense carried the offense in in more games than the other way around. And, and I think some of these games get lost be, either because they happened early in the season or because the Rams won. But you look early on in the season, that New Orleans Saints game, very close in the first half. The Cleveland Browns game, very close throughout the game. The Chicago game, very close throughout. If the defense doesn't play better in those games, those are losses. And people, I understand, want to look at the Tampa Bay game and say, oh, the defense cost the Rams in that game. Uh, the, the People talk about the Baltimore game. The Baltimore game was a complete collapse. It was a total, utter team-wide failure. That that game was not on the defense. The, both sides were were awful in that game. And, and the Dallas game was bad, too. So, yes, I, I understand and I agree completely that there were very troubling games in there. But across the board, Jake, I, I asked on, on Twitter during the game yesterday, I said, if you can, which coordinator had the best season? And I include Sean McVay as kind of the de facto offensive coordinator, Wade Phillips, defensive coordinator, John Fossil, special teams coordinator. Which one of them had the best season? And I think it was like 44, 42% picked Wade Phillips as as the, the the top choice. And that was kind of where I was going with that is if if you're going to put the, the blame for this season on somebody, are you really going to put it on Wade Phillips? Are you really going to put it on a defense that was actually better across the board than it, than it was in 2018? Uh, or, or are you going to, and if you're going to do that, then Jake, as you said, are you also going to look at the offense? Are you, are you also going to look at Sean McVay and some of his shortcomings as a play caller or as an offensive architect? Are, are you going to look at John Fossil and, and the fact that the special teams undeniably had a, had a step back in, in 2019? Uh, I, I don't, to, to put it all on, on Wade Phillips and to say that, oh, you know, if they change the defense, then then everything will be better. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. And Jake, one final thing from, from me on this is if people look at, at Sean McVay and say, well, you know, he, he was dealt a tough hand because the offensive line was weakened, because the Todd Gurley situation was, was very difficult for him to manage, because Jared Goff maybe didn't handle... Uh, all of that the, as well as he could have. And I agree. I agree 100% with, with all of that. It was not an easy season for Sean McVay. And, and that certainly should be taken into account when, when you evaluate his performance. But you can't say that Wade Phillips had it easy as a defensive coordinator. At every level of that defense, he he was down to his third string middle linebacker in Troy Reader because of injuries. So you've got an undrafted rookie in there at middle linebacker. You, you've got a completely revamped secondary because you've, you've flipped both of your cornerbacks in the middle of the season, going from Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib to Jalen Ramsey and Troy Hill, and then to, to Darius Williams and to David Long. You lose John Johnson, a Pro Bowl caliber safety, after six games. You play the majority of the season with a rookie, Taylor Rapp, at, at safety. And then, on top of all that, you completely change the defense in the middle of the season because the Rams had been playing this kind of zone defense primarily because, quite frankly, they had to with Marcus Peters. And then when Marcus Peters gets traded and they bring in Jalen Ramsey, they completely flip 
to be more of a, a kind of a man press uh, attacking aggressive defense. They did that in the middle of a season. And I, so if you're going to look at Sean McVay and say, well, he had challenges that he had to deal with as an offensive guy. I agree with that. But I, I, I think you can say the same thing about Wade Phillips and say he had some challenges that, that he had to deal with. And the defense actually got better as the season went along. Whereas I don't know whether you can say the same thing about the offense. So I guess I'm getting a little fired up about this, Jake. But I, I don't. I, I, I would hate to see one guy um, kind of get scapegoated when when it's pretty clear that there's a lot of areas on this team that that need to be addressed. Of course, you can look at the shortcomings of the defense and the injuries of the defense if the defense didn't play well. And I think to your point, if they didn't play so well given all of the things that they had to deal with, then we would be looking at the the significant injuries, the trade of Marcus Peters, the fact that they changed their style of uh, zone to man-to-man coverage. Just like we look at the offense, because people could say, well, of course the offense took a dip. Look at the offensive line. They got banged up. They changed centers. The whole, you know, the line was, you know, filled with rookies and guys that had never played before in the NFL. And you look at Todd Gurley not being able to use him as much. So there are equal things on both sides of the ball where you could look at and make excuses for why this particular part of the game wasn't efficient or why they didn't play well. And you look at both McVeigh and Phillips, and Phillips was the one that weathered the storm arguably better than McVeigh did. Now, to Sean McVeigh's credit, he was able to have a winning season in the end. This team doesn't get to where they are essentially to a winning record without the offense figuring out some way to put some points on the board because the old adage, you can't win if you can't score. But the the fact is, is that the defense remained in an elite defense no matter what happened. And yes, there were these glaring clunkers. There were these games that were just completely terrible. And to the Tampa Bay game, which a lot of people like to point out, if you look at the end score, you think, oh my God, they gave up 55 points. You think about the, it was it was on a lot of, uh, and let me try that again. In a lot of scenarios in that Tampa Bay game, the offense put the defense in bad field position. And so it was sort of impossible for the defense to keep that game close when you had Jared Goff essentially coughing up the football and throwing it away. And you had all of these factors that were going against the defense. The offense put a lot of pressure on the defense and the defense was in, in most cases able to respond and keep the games close. Like you mentioned in the new Orleans game and in the, and in the Chicago game and in the Cleveland game. But once in a while, the defense is going to crack and you can't put that much pressure on it and expect it to always be bulletproof. So I think that when looking at what didn't work this season, fans should be looking at it in putting things into context. And I think that if you consider the entire season as a whole, you should be looking at the entire season as a whole instead of just, oh, well, these, you know, these few games were terrible. So there obviously is some, uh, some things that need to, they need to shake it up. You don't always need to blow up the whole plan. You sometimes can make the team better by just looking at individual things and tweaking things rather than 
wiping the board clean, essentially, and getting rid of everybody. Right. And, and I, I agree with that. And and I understand that, that people want to look at some of the breakdowns and, and even, you know, people say, oh, you know, it wasn't just that. It was blown coverages during games and things. Well, okay. Show me the perfect defense then. You know, show me the defense in the NFL that, that never has a bad game, that never has breakdowns, that never gets beat on deep passes, uh, things like that. It, again, it's it's take it as the total package. Don't don't break it down so much into individual mistakes or individual games that, that were disappointing or, or you know lackluster or whatever it might be. Take take a full view look and, and Jake to your point about that Tampa Bay game. Four turnovers in that game by the Rams offense. Jared Goff had three interceptions and they, and they had a fumble. And the defense actually contributed a touchdown because Marcus Peters returned uh, an interception for a touchdown. So so seven of those points belo- actually belong to the to the Rams uh, defense. So uh, that's a factor. That that Baltimore game, again, just a, a total meltdown ac- across the board. So, so you're looking at a couple games that, yes, were, were absolutely troubling. And, and nobody's going to deny that. But to think that, that you should just blow the whole thing up uh, based on that, whew, I, I don't know. But it, it'll be interesting because, you know, the, the Rams do have people on their staff who, who are well thought of. And if they do decide to, to make a change, uh, they're not going into it uh, w- with, a, with a lack of options. Uh, they have Joe Barry, linebackers coach. He, he's been a, a defensive coordinator twice in, in the NFL and has the trust of Sean McVay. Joe's a very good communicator. He's a very good coach. And uh, I I'd kind of, frankly, kind of eyed him from early on as as the guy who might eventually step in. Uh, I, I assumed it would be when, when Wade Phillips retired that, that Joe Barry might kind of step in as that, as that kind of uh, defensive coordinator in waiting. But if they wanted to make that move now, I don't, I don't think it would be a terrible move. I don't think Joe, Joe Barry would be a bad uh, coach. And, and then the other guy is Aubrey Pleasant. Uh, a cornerbacks coach, a, a younger guy, does not have that experience as a defensive coordinator, but clearly is a guy who is going to fill that job at some point. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that, whether it's with the Rams or whether it's with another team. I think he's going to get one of those jobs probably pretty soon. Zach Taylor, when he got hired in Cincinnati uh, after last season, looked at Aubrey Pleasant. He was considered a candidate for for Cincinnati's defensive coordinator position they didn't end up going in that direction but he was a guy that they looked at Aubrey's a great communicator uh, a great uh, a leader uh, as a coach and uh, I could easily see him stepping into that as well but uh, the question just becomes is that the right thing to do and is that really what's going to help your team going into 2020 if the Rams can sit down and, and say yes absolutely that's the right thing to do uh, in terms of personnel, in terms of whatever it might be, that that's the the right change to make, then that's that's fine. That that's but uh, I hope they're doing it for the right reasons. So it'll be interesting, Jake. The other interesting one is John Fossil. He's uh, also a quote unquote free agent. He did not get uh, a contract extension, so uh, the Rams have a decision to make there. John Fossil is a, a guy who is very well thought of and has been for a long time. He's one of only two coaches that. Sean McVay retained at least position coaches uh, after he got hired from from the Jeff Fisher regime. Skip Pete, running backs coach, was was the other one. So they obviously thought a lot of John Fossil, and, and he's been kind of a fixture for that Rams coaching staff for a long time. But uh, look, the special teams also had a dip this season. Uh, kicking game, punting game, return game, all of those things I, I don't think were at the same level as they've been over the past two seasons. So 
that'll be interesting to see what they do there. And I think these will be the first uh, kind of decisions or, or announcements that are made. You, you want to, you know, decide what how your coaching staff is going to look. So uh, I don't I don't suspect that'll take very long one way or the other before uh, some decisions are made, and then the Rams can start to look toward personnel and that sort of thing. But Jake. Let's try to put a bow on this because I was sitting, I was driving home last night after the game and thinking nine and seven. It's such a weird record to me because it's not bad. It's a winning record. There's a lot of teams out there. I think most teams would be happy to win nine games to say they had a winning record, but it's not a playoff spot. It's not up to the Rams standard. Uh, I, I feel like it's kind of this squishy middle between you, you can't really be angry about it, but you also can't be satisfied about it. So what do you think when, when we have time to kind of step back a little bit and, and you know put some air between us and, and the end of the season, are we going to be are we going to remember it being as bad as we thought it was or, or with a little bit of perspective, are we going to say, yeah, you know it wasn't that bad? I think given what the Rams have had to go through, in terms of injuries, in terms of Todd Gurley, in terms of the personnel that has been changed up, whether it's been traded or the different styles that they've had to adjust. I I think one thing that I would say that the Rams did well this season was weather the storm as best they could. They never really had an identity uh, like they did in 2017 and 2018. They couldn't get back to that winning way of consistency there was so many inconsistencies and i think one thing that i have always thought of before seeing every game this season one thing that i've always thought is not the the fact that i wasn't able to to look at a game or look at a a matchup for the rams even against an inferior opponent like an arizona cardinals game or sorry the fact that I wasn't able to look at any given game, whether it would be against an elite opponent like the Seattle Seahawks or an inferior opponent like the Arizona Cardinals, and figure out kind of in my mind what I thought was going to happen, like I had no idea. And I think that that is a huge uh, point about this season where you didn't really know what you were going to get. And even in the first Uh, Arizona game in week 13 and the Rams won that game pretty handily. They put up 30 plus points and they, they held the, they held the Cardinals to seven and it was a commanding victory that they won. But I remember thinking even before that game, I was like, man, you know, I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to come out and play like they did against the Chicago bears where it was more of a struggle. Uh, It wasn't as, as clean, or is it going to end up like they did against the Pittsburgh Steelers where they should have won that game, but they couldn't win it. And it just, it just struck me as like, man, like if I can't even figure out how they're going to play against a team like the Arizona Cardinals, a, a, a game that they should win you know, going away, hands hands down, you've got a real identity problem there. And I think that that's something that needs to be addressed and something that, you know, uh, needs to be looked at. And the one thing that I, we've been talking about uh, Todd Gurley, and the one thing that I've been thinking about 
throughout the season and, and now that now that it's over is that I'm worried that he is not going to get back to the way he was when he was really carrying this team um, even even to through last year even you know bef- up until he got hurt um, you know he didn't really play that well in the playoffs but I'm worried that they're not going to be able to get back to that form because if they're being so careful and tender with him uh, this season, then what are the what are the what's the next season going to look like? And if if you're going to kind of roll out the same type of uh, program for him, you know, are you going to have to make drastic changes to make sure that the other parts of the game are as uh, as as tightly as sound as it can be? You know, i.e., the offensive line. Uh, tightening up the defense, making sure Jared Goff is even, you know, can carry the team even more without Todd Gurley. Those are some thoughts that I had uh, thinking about this season is that if you can't rely on Todd Gurley to be the guy that you need him to be, you got to figure out other spots on this team that you can tighten up and make better so that they can make up for the fact that Todd Gurley isn't going to be the same. Yeah, yeah, you, I think you hit it perfectly there. There's, there's absolutely no way in my mind that they can duplicate or even try to duplicate what they did with Todd Gurley this year. You, you either have to be all in with him, or they. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the other option is. It's, it's something that I'm going to explore this week in, in, in print and in a story. But I, I, frankly, I don't know what the answer is right now. If, if that, if he can't be a guy that you can build your offense around at this point. And I think, as you said, Jake, I think there's indications that that might not be the case anymore. Uh, then I don't know what you do. I, I got to be honest with you. It's the, the, the salary is, is prohibitive in, in terms of, of what you can do with him. Uh, if you're paying a guy that much and, and he can't be a focal point of your offense, then that's a huge problem. And I think we're going to go into that with, with Sean McVay a little bit. When we talk to him, Les Snead will also talk at some point either – at the, at the end of this week or at the beginning of next week. And, and that's going to be a huge talking point with him also is where do you go? Where do you go with Todd Gurley in, in 2020? Because, Jake, I, I think I'm going to pick two words out of, out of what you just said there that I think are most important, and they are consistency and identity. And those are two things that I, I'm going to take away from this 2019 Ram season is that there was very little consistency and there was very little identity. And those are two things that we could not say in 2018. In 2018, the Rams were very consistent and they had a very clear identity, especially on offense. You knew exactly what they were. You knew what they were trying to accomplish. And really, that was the beauty of, of that Rams offense is that everybody knew what they were trying to accomplish, really. And, and they performed at such a high level in, in all three phases, offensive line, pass game, run game. They performed so well that it just didn't matter. You, you knew what their identity was. You knew what they were trying to accomplish, and they still were able to do it. And a, across the board this season, you, you could not say that. And, and that consistency was, was just not there, even early on. I, I know, you know b- before you even joined us, Jake, when, when Vinny and I did the podcast, we, we, we would sit there from week to week and go, yeah, they won, but geez, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they started 3-0, and, and, and nobody felt confident about that. But yet also, when they went through that dip, you still felt like, well, they could turn it back on. They could make a run and, and make the playoffs. And even at the end of the season, we were still sitting there going, well, 
they could win three out of their last four and they could get into the playoffs. It was that almost like a tease, like they, they continually gave us just enough to make us believe that, that they could turn it back on and that they could get back to that previous level, but they were not able to do it on a consistent basis. And, and I think a lot of that is exactly what you mentioned. You, you need to have an identity. You need to have a clear plan for, for what you're trying to accomplish on, on both sides of the ball. And I, I just don't think the Rams were, were able to do that enough this season. I, I've Just putting a period on, on this 2019 season, Jake, I, I don't think we're going to be able to fully evaluate it or put it into some perspective until we get well into 2020. And, and what I mean by that is I, I think it's going to be seen one way or the other. If the Rams bounce back in 2020 and win the division, make the playoffs, that sort of thing, I think we'll look back at this season and say, well, you know, they had some challenges. It was a tough season. They still had a winning record. They still hung in there. And then they bounce back. If in 2020 the Rams continue to de- decline or are once again an 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven team, I think we're going to look back and say, yep, that's you can now see where where the decline was was starting and and where the warning signs were and, and that sort of thing. So I think it's almost like a cliffhanger here, Jake. I, I think we're we're going to take this into 2020 and with a lot of questions and and see whether or not the Rams can can address some of these issues and and rebound. And I think kind of the full story of, of 2019 has, has yet to be determined. So the, the, the point you made about the Rams kind of teasing us is something that I always have, uh, have, have thought about, which is, is that this team has the talent to be a lot better than they are. And there are a few teams out there that are like that. The Dallas Cowboys are a huge disappointment. They were one of the best teams, but one of the best offensive, I think it were the best offensive team in the NFL, and they just got knocked out of the playoff race or in, in contention for to make the playoffs. And it, you just kind of scratch your head. And those those games where or the stretch of games where you think, okay, they're they're getting back on track. We see the identity. We see we we see the what we what we remember from that 2018 team and then they go into Dallas for example and it's like well wait a minute where where was all the creativity they just they just displayed they had just gotten back on track and and you're thinking like they just you know carved up Seattle and which was a, a you know a really good Seattle team they were able to run these play action passes and these jet sweeps and 12 personnel and you're like oh my god this is this is this is exactly what we wanted to see then they go into Dallas and it's like they never even tried any of that so i think it has a lot to do with obviously the personnel on the field and the inconsistencies in the offensive line and the injuries, but it's also the coaching as well to be able to say, this is our game plan. We we know what works. We're going to stick with what works. And even if it doesn't work in the beginning of the game, i.e. the running game, we're we're still going to stick with it because that is our bread and butter, and that's what we want uh, to to show these teams that we can that that we can run the ball and run it well. And when we run the ball, we win games. And so I think it's it's twofold. It's it's the players staying healthy and being able to uh, perform at a high level, but it's also the coaching staff believing that we know what our identity is. We know what works. We're going to stick with what works, and until it doesn't work, or until the other team figures out what we're doing and is able to stop us, then we can adjust and and reassess 
uh, how to how to attack a certain team. But I think there has to be some consistency in the game planning as well. And then also moving forward, going back to Todd Gurley, you have a guy who obviously is an elite level running back when he's good. But if he's a shell of his of his former self next season, we're going to be in trouble. It's like. It's almost like in, I guess I'm going to regret this analogy, but it's almost like having a, you know, Michael Jordan come joining the Wizards, for example. It's like you remember how great Michael Jordan used to be and it's Michael Jordan. Oh, my God. But he's but he's he's older. He's not the guy he used to be. He's on the back half of his career and he he's not someone you can rely on. And I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form, Todd Gurley is in that scenario. He's not on the back half of his career. But the but the parallel that I'm trying to draw here is that. It's it's Todd Gurley, but it's not really Todd Gurley, and you need him to be that guy. And if you're paying him all that money, you need him to be that horse. You need to be able to rely on him uh, and give him the ball and say, "Get us a win. Get us, you know, ma- make this work for us." And and uh, similarly with Jared Goff, if you're paying him all that money, you you got to be able to say, "You cannot." throw basically as many interceptions as touchdown passes. You've got to take care of the ball. You can't fumble it as much as you used to. You can't throw it away as much as you used to. You need to be our guy if we're going to pay you this money. Um, and so that's that's the identity crisis that I think that they have. I think that they can tighten it up next year. But again, it needs to. there needs to be consistency, not only with the players and how they play, but with the coaching staff as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not just one thing. And like you said, when you've allocated that much money to those players, it's that's that's the reality. You only have so much money that you can spend in a salary cap league and you, you need your best players to be your best players. You hear that across the in every sport. Uh, you hear it. And, and it's absolutely true. I, I don't think there's one there, I don't think there's one game this year that you can say where Todd Gurley made a huge impact. And uh, is that all on him? No, I, I don't think it is. But you you can't be paying a guy that much money and have him be a focal point of your offense and and just have him be kind of a an, an average running back or a secondary part of of your offense. And I think that was a big problem this year, and that's why I said they they can't repeat it. Whatever plan they come up with in 2020, it cannot be the same plan that they had in 2019. So. The good news, if you, if you want a little bit of silver lining, is that the Rams have a little bit more time now to, to figure this stuff out. Uh, I, I think that's probably one thing that, that went a little underestimated. Uh, when you obviously always want to go to the Super Bowl, you will take that 10 times out of 10. But but the one thing it does on the negative side is it really compresses your offseason, especially the way the NFL runs things, is the Rams weren't done last year until February 3rd was, was the day of the Super Bowl. And then... Boom, you're right back into it. Less than a month later, you're at the combine, free agency starts, you're into your draft process, you're into your OTAs. I mean, you you do not get time to breathe. And that's nobody should feel sorry for you because that's the goal. That's absolutely the way you want it to go. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of time there, whether it's evaluation or, or thinking about how to change things, whatever. Uh, you, you're under you're a very, very compressed schedule. So now the Rams are going to have some time to sit back uh, throughout January, throughout most of February, and, and really do those type of uh, self-evaluations, look at the coaching staff, look at who they want to bring back, maybe who they don't want to bring back, and uh, hopefully by the time they get into late February, when some of these decisions have to start to be made, they're they're in a better position to, to make them, uh, because it's going to be a very, 
big offseason with a lot of choices, a lot of big decisions to make, and it'll be fascinating to track, Jake. And we will be here. Uh, we uh, 11 personnel will will continue through the offseason. We'll be transitioning to uh, once a week rather than than twice a week because there's now no games to preview. But there's going to be a lot to talk about. And uh, we certainly will uh, track it all through through the offseason. We will be back this Friday to do kind of a, a final wrap-up on the season, I guess you could say. We're going to do a mailbag. So uh, please do send us your questions on Twitter to, to either myself, uh, at Rich underscore Hammond, or, or Jake, who is at Reiner underscore Jake, R-E-I-N-E-R underscore Jake. Happy to take your questions. I'll, I'll put out a call for, for them anyway. And, uh, and and we'll field some some questions on the podcast on Friday. We'll maybe do some team awards, maybe name an MVP, a rookie of the year, uh, some things like that. But but we'll stay with you uh, throughout the offseason to talk about everything. Jake will continue on with us. It's, it's been great to have you, Jake, filling in, in in the middle of the season after Vinny went and destroyed the Raiders. Uh, and, and ruined their playoff chances. Uh, really appreciative of you stepping in and, and the fact that uh, you will continue on with us uh, through the offseason. CBS 2 and KCAL 9, what an outstanding job covering the Rams this season. Nobody does it better. And uh, their coverage is complete. The KK, or, uh, CBS will still have the uh, AFC playoffs uh, throughout uh, January. I think they have the Patriots game. Uh, this Saturday, so definitely tune in for that. And and Jake, what can we expect from uh, just the great Southern California sports coverage from 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 CBS and KCAL going forward? You can expect to see us on KCAL nine at ten thirty every night for Sports Central. On uh, and we uh, loved uh, covering the Rams this season. It's been great uh, from the coaches' show to uh, the hour long show we do on Sundays from four thirty to five thirty on CBS two. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a, a lot of fun covering this team my first year doing it. It's been a, a blast. I want to thank everybody out there that have, that has been so supportive, that has followed me, that uh, has allowed me to uh, be on this podcast. Thank you to Rich and to Vinny, because if not for Vinny, um, I, I, would, I don't know if I'd be doing the podcast because I just asked him one day, you know, what's going on with that? Well, when he was uh, leaving the Rams to go cover the Raiders and he sort of brought Brought up that there was no replacement, so I'm glad that he uh, got me in the loop here with Rich. Uh, I really uh, love talking about this team. It's a it was a fascinating season. Uh, it's going to be an even more fascinating off season, and these playoffs should be fun to watch as well, uh, which uh, is going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully, you guys will continue to follow along. I also do a lot of news coverage as well. Uh, so if you see me tweeting about uh, car fires and, uh, and 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 natural disasters and all that stuff, that's why uh, I do both news and sports for uh, CBS and KCAL. Uh, so keep make sure to keep following along. And, uh, you know, happy holidays, happy new year. Yeah, as long as it's not my car on fire, I'm I'm good with that. Uh, oh, if it's your if it's your car, Rich, then we're gonna we're gonna do wall to wall coverage on that for sure. Yeah, you'll you'll, you'll have an, I'll give you an exclusive on uh, on what happened there. But no, Thank great you. great sentiments, Jake, and uh, 
really appreciative of, of the Rams fans out there. It's, uh, you know, you sometimes learn more uh, when the team struggles than, than when they have success. When when they win, everybody's happy and on the bandwagon. Uh, but but when it's a more challenging season, you, you really see the diehards come out and the, and the people who stick with the team. And and uh, those are the people we really appreciate, uh, uh, even even if we have some debate on, on social media or whatever it might be. It's uh, the passion is, is awesome and uh, much, much appreciated. Thank you, everybody uh, who subscribes to The Athletic, who, who listens to the podcast every week. And like I said, we'll, we'll continue on. Please do ask us your questions uh, that, that we'll answer on Friday, and we'll have full coverage through throughout the offseason. Definitely keep in touch with Jake on Twitter. Follow him uh, there, and, uh, of course, watch him on, on CBS and on KCAL. But for now, we will sign off. We'll be back with you on Friday to do kind of a, a full-season recap and start to look forward to the offseason. So thanks again, everybody, and we will talk to you then.